Well, we pick up tonight on Hebrews chapter 10 at verse 26. This is where we left off talking about last week our fellowship together and the things we are to do with each other. That we're not just in this to get ourselves to get through the race, but we're here to get as many people through it and doing well as we can. That's the measure of our success. In verse 26, chapter 10. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now you read this verse, and you could, you could be thinking, man, we're in trouble. Because how many times, and don't raise your hand on this one, just, you know, think it, think the answer. How many times have we, since we got born again, since we came to the knowledge along the way of what was sin, how many times have we decided to sin? <laughs> so we would say that we've all been guilty of willfully sinning, wouldn't we? So then look at this. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Well, that sounds like we're in some hot water. Sounds like we're in some, some trouble here. If you just read this, this verse, that's why we've, we've been spending time with, in Hebrews because Hebrews is a guy who... Or, or woman, I don't know who it, who it is wrote it, could have been either one, wrote so methodically and with such intention and such purpose and all along the way is just slowly building the case. This is not a standalone verse. This verse goes with everything else that we have been, been looking at. So, when it says here, after we have received, that word for received is to, is to take or to receive Compared to other words for receive, this one suggests a more self-prompted taking. That I see it's there, and I'm not just waiting for it to come to me. I'm actually going out there and getting it. That, that type of a, a deal. So he says, therefore, if we sin willfully after we have received. So that word, using this particular word for receive, said there was some action on my part to go out there and get the revelation. Get out there and, and get the, the truth that we came, came to. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. So what is this knowledge of the truth that he refers to? Is it just truth in general? Is it truth specific? Is it referring to when we come to the truth of something being a sin and we willfully go against it? What is it that he's referring to here? Well, again, we look at the context. What has he been spending all of these chapters building up? The work of Jesus Christ. His sacrifice over the sacrifice of bulls and goats. His office of high priest over that of Aaron. The law is subservient to faith. That faith was involved in the Old Testament. That... that, um, the tabernacle that we have down here on the earth is a copy of what is in heaven. That Jesus Christ is a once for all sacrifice. No longer do sacrifices that to continually be made. This is what he has spent all his time on. So when he says when you come to the knowledge of the truth, he's not talking about when you come to the knowledge that gossip is wrong. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about here is when you come to the knowledge of the truth, that Jesus Christ and his sacrifice has put all other sacrifices out of the way. When you come to the truth that you understand that Jesus Christ 
and his sacrifice no longer is a sacrifice of bulls, lambs, goats, turtle doves, anything else necessary. All we need is the sacrifice of Christ. When you come to that truth, when you come to that revelation, you grab hold of that. And he says there, if you go willfully against that truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice. So these are, he's talking to, to Hebrew people. These are people who came out from under the law, who, who followed the law all their life as they were being brought up to do this. And these are Hebrew Christians. These are people who to turn from being um, the law, following after the law, to go after Christ. This is the ones he's writing to. He's not just writing to, to Hebrew Christians who were still following the law. He's writing to Hebrew Christians, people that are following after Christ. He says, if you all leave that truth, there's no sacrifice for you now. You can't go back. There's no sacrifice back there that you can go back to. There's no sacrifice of a bull. There's no sacrifice of a goat. There's no sacrifice. It's not there. Don't willfully go against all that you know. Don't leave the doctrine of Christ. Don't go back against it. For if we willfully, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. So if I willfully, I've come to the truth of who Christ is, what He has done, and I go back against it. He says, uh, this, is, this isn't good, don't do it. Now he's also talking about, just in the verses before, don't forsake the fellowship of ourselves together. He's not talking about going out to the synagogues and fellowshipping over the law and over some sacrifices. He's talking about coming together as believers in the church setting according to the New Testament set way the church was set up. That you come into that particular setting. But these particular Hebrew Christians were facing something that was trying to drive them back away from that. And that's what this section of, of uh, Hebrews is about. So, let's go on here with the rest of this. Verse 26, verse 27, But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. So instead of there being a sacrifice of sin, there is a fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries, or those, actually you can put this in there, those who are against the things of God. Now look at how he portrays God here. A certain fearful expectation of judgment. If we leave the sacrifice of Christ, when we face Jesus, when we face God in, the, in heaven, there is a certain fearful expectation of judgment because the sacrifice that we are doing is not effective. Because the only effectiveness is what he spent time doing. The only effectiveness of the sacrifice of a bull, of a goat, of a lamb, the only effectiveness it had was faith in Messiah who was to come. So once Messiah has come and I don't put faith in that, then I've rejected it. And those sacrifices will do nothing for me. They did for other people, but only because they mixed faith with it. That one truth that we've gotten so far out of Hebrews is so important in the, in the underlying current of this book is, is that the only way that the sacrifices had an effect was because of faith in Messiah to come. If faith in the Lamb was to come. That the, lamb of, the, the blood of bulls and goats and lambs couldn't do anything about sin. But faith in the Messiah to come 
did. So if I obeyed in the sacrifice and had faith in Messiah to come, then they became effective. So now he's just telling you, look, Messiah has come. If you do not have faith in Messiah to come and you go back to these sacrifices, all that awaits you is fiery judgment. And there is nothing that can wipe that out. That's a scary thing to to be writing in there. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. I looked up that word devour. You know what it means? It means devour. It means eat them up. It just means consume. It's, it's well translated. There isn't any better word to put in there. It just means to come on out there and, and gobble it up. That's what's going to happen. when we, If we were in that condition and we faced judgment, we'd be gobbled up. Nothing left. He says, you don't want to be doing that. So we're not talking about willful acts of sin and that I gossiped even though I know it wasn't supposed to be doing that. I stole even though I shouldn't do that. It's not talking about those, those particular things. Verse 28. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now he has already shown the supremacy of Christ and his high priest's uh, office to that of the law and the high priest's office there. So he says, if you followed the law, or if you rejected the law, I should say, if you rejected the law and judgment came to you, how much more when you reject Jesus Christ? (laughs) He's making the comparison there. So he's done all this comparison to so Jesus is superior to everything in the law. Now, if you rejected the law and you understand from the way you're brought up that if you reject the law, judgment awaits you. How much more if you reject this? So that's what his comparison is. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on a testimony of two or three witnesses. Verse 29. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? See, we're not talking about gossip. We're not talking about stealing. We're not talking about cuss words and, and things like that. This is not what, he, what is on the agenda here. It's not even in his mind. Context is everything with this, with this book. What he's talking about is when you reject the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, there is no hope for you. There is nothing out there. Now you want to talk about people who preach inclusion. That, well, everybody is saved or everybody's going to heaven and God won't judge them. That's not what he's painting as a picture here in the book of Hebrews. How much worse punishment do you suppose Will he be thought worthy? <laughs> Will he be thought worthy? If you reject Jesus Christ, you are going to be thought worthy of all manner of evil that's going to come upon you. Who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. And how many people today are doing exactly this when they talk about Christianity, when they talk about Jesus, they, they reject all of this. And how much punishment are they making themselves worthy for? Apparently, folks, there's different levels of, of worthiness in the area of punishment. And you know the people that I think are going to be at the high end of the list. Mentioned, mentioned them many a time. <laughs> i got more verses to back that up here, right, right here. Because these folks are constantly putting down Christians, constantly putting down people in this, in this area. Verse 30. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. God said this. 
God says, vengeance is mine. I'm going to take care of that. I got it. <laughs> we, don't have to, we don't have to mess with this anymore. I got it. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That is not the way the world looks at God. They look at God like some nice guy in the sky and, you know, He's going to judge you by based on whether you did anything really bad or any such thing. No, He's judging you based on what you did with the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. How did you accept that work? Did you trample it underfoot? Or did you accept it? Did you put faith in it? Or did you despise it? That's all He's looking at. That is the only thing that He is looking at as far as whether you have a, uh, in to heaven or out. How did you handle Jesus Christ? Did you accept His sacrifice or did you not? Now that's it. Hmm. But it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's not the message the world is hearing. It's not the message the world is accepting. Verse 32. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. So recall the former days. Back when you first heard about Jesus and you first accepted the work of Jesus and you went against the law, what you were taught with the law and then going out and making sacrifices because you accepted the work of Messiah, which the law pointed to. So you accepted that he says, think back to those days. Think back to those days. Recall the former days in which you, after you were illuminated, after the light turned on, and you understood Jesus is Messiah. And His sacrifice is all I need. You endured a great struggle with sufferings. Now picture this. Who's he writing to? Hebrews. Jewish people. If a Jewish person in the day that this letter is written accepted Jesus Christ as Messiah, didn't go to the synagogue and make sacrifices anymore, but accepted the work of Jesus on the cross, what would they face? They would receive persecution. From whom would they receive persecution? The law abiding Jews. Not the Romans. Romans don't care. As long as you paid your taxes, we're fine. As long as you don't take up arms and rebel, I don't care who you serve. It don't matter to us. <laughs> That's how they looked at it. Now, there were certain cities in there who, who were more involved in emperor worship than others, and, and there were certain pressures on that. You know that from the first three chapters of Revelation when they were writing to uh, certain cities that they were under great persecution to worship the emperor and worship things like, like this. But not all cities were that way and certainly not in, in Israel. That was not going out that way. That was more in the Gentile cities that that was going on. Those things would happen. But we know when Paul went around and Paul taught things about Jesus Christ and about the law being fulfilled and we saw the response that the Jewish people had towards him and that was one of have we used the, the great word for today tolerance. Were they tolerant of, well, you know what? You have your way of believing. We, no, they were not. They were very militant 
against Paul and against these, these particular things. They, they did not like this at all. And they would, they would have riots. They would drag them out into the street and beat them. Stone people. Put people in prison. This is how they accepted that. This is, then the Jews were the ones who would stir it up. In fact, Paul, he would go to a new city and the Jews from the other city came on out to where Paul was just to stir up people against them. They took off from work. <laughs> made the trip. Didn't get in the car. Walked <laughs> to get on over to the other city just to stir up trouble. That's what they did. Just to stir up trouble. Nobody paid them to go out there and do those riots. They did it on their own. Now we got riots, we find out there's people that are being paid to go start up some riots. <laughs> but not back then. Nobody was around to pay them. They, just, they were just so upset that these things were going on. This is what they did. So if Paul faced that, don't you think other Jewish people faced that as well? That when they stood up and they said, well, we're not going to the synagogue and offering a, a lamb and a bull and a, whatever else that they might be doing. Jesus Christ is our sacrifice. They faced great persecution. They faced great pressure. He says, think back to those days. Think back to when you first realized that Jesus Christ was the way. And think back to how people accepted you or rejected you because of this doctrine of Christ. I want you to think back. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle. A great struggle with sufferings. So they... They suffered. They struggled. That, that combination of words there does not paint a pretty picture. They endured. You It says you endured. They didn't give in. Can you imagine this? A new Christian facing great pressure from people who know them. People they grew up with. People in their family. Whatever it might be. Great pressure. Why are you accepting the way of Jesus? Why are you going the way of the cross? Why are you going the way of Christ? That's not right. You shouldn't be doing that. And great pressure. Can you imagine going out to the family meetings? Family dinners. He's one of those Christians. And, and the pressure that would come on. And that's, it says they endured. They endured. They didn't give in. I'm sure that there were some that gave in. He's probably not writing a letter to them. He's writing a letter to the ones who endured. There are some people who caved into that pressure. And they went back to making the sacrifices and and basically rejected the offering of Christ. But here, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations and partly while you became companions with those who were so treated. So he said some of those sufferings, a, a part of it, was that uh, you were dragged out into the streets. Your name was put into the town paper. If they had a paper. You were part of the uh, courtyard discussions. Have you heard about Brother Steve? Have you heard about Sister So-and-so? Have you heard about the things that uh, they've, they, they've rejected the sacrifice? And then when you walk in there, all eyes are on you. And they're all looking. You are made the, the public spectacle. And people who you didn't even know knew you now hate you. Can't stand you. Every place you go, you go into the grocery store to get some groceries. Sorry, we don't serve you anymore. And great sufferings, 
great persecutions came up. It was made public. This wasn't just done back in the, in the you know, people talking about it behind your back. No, it was made public. You were made a spectacle. People made it a point to embarrass you, to do everything that they could to, um, to drag your name through the mud, to make sure that no one else would follow suit. And then no one else would go this way. Wow. He says, partly while you are made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations. And the tribulations you went through, everyone saw. So if you even think about this, maybe the employer you have still makes sacrifices. And after some big spectacle, some big blow up in the town, town center, you came in the next day and he says, sorry, your job's gone. We don't need your services anymore. Now you don't have a job. And who else wants to hire you? These kind of things could go on. There were great struggles because they went the way of faith. Reproaches, tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. So maybe it wasn't, they weren't looking at you, but maybe someone close to you. Maybe a friend of yours. Maybe somebody who uh, you grew up with and that you both got born again. You both came over to the side of Jesus Christ being Messiah. Then they're dragging him out there. And you don't think that's right. And so you stand up for him. And then what happens? And they come against you. And that pressure comes and, and, and lands upon you. Because, hey, you're companions with those who are so treated. Now, this is nothing like what it is back then, because back then this was face-to-face. But how many of you folks have ever put something up on Facebook to defend a Bible point of view with somebody who is poking fun at things in the Bible, putting things down that are in the Bible? Not talking political things, I'm talking Bible things. And you, you stood up for that. And then all manner of people that you don't even know came out and made all kinds of comments about you. All right, that's a small scale compared to what they faced. Because there was face to face. It wasn't anonymous. It wasn't just letters on a computer screen. These were words that were said. These were fists that were thrown. These were jobs that were lost. This is what they went through. He says, I want you to recall the former days when you first became illuminated and you changed your lifestyle to be one who followed after the way of the New Testament, the New Covenant, and the people who came against you, and the pressures that you faced, and the struggles that you had. He says, partly those struggles were because of what was done publicly, the spectacle that made of you. Part of it was because of those that you teamed up with. Now look at the next verse. Verse 34. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. That verse causes a lot of people to think that Paul wrote this. As if Paul is the only one who was put in prison for his faith. Is that not the most ridiculous reason to believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews? How many people were put in jail for their faith? Ah, tell you. I mean, how many Christians were fed to the lions? In the Roman Colosseum. 
How many were, were stoned out in the streets? How many were involved in riots? We only know a few of the ones that are recorded in the book of Acts. But even if we took all those, there's far more than just Paul. And the fact that the writer of Hebrews was put in jail doesn't tell us that it was Paul at all. It tells us this is another person who was put in jail for their faith. Was he put in jail for his faith because of things that he did against the Romans and the Romans didn't like it? Was he put in jail for his faith because it was more like what Paul faced and what Peter faced and that the Jews didn't like what was happening and they stirred up things against them? Remember Peter was put in jail and the angel came and opened the gates? There are other times that Peter was put in jail. Peter was finally put in jail and then finally killed. As were all the other disciples, except for John. John was put in jail, but they just weren't able to kill him. So that's not evidence that this is Paul. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Now that's all one sentence. This is all one thought. So I want you to look at this. For you had compassion on me and my chains. So he was locked up, or she. He or she was, was locked up for their beliefs. And these people had compassion on them being locked up for their faith. And joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. I don't see that there's any possible way to phrase this sentence this way. Than to, under, than to understand any other way than this. Because of their association with the author of Hebrews, the things that they owned were taken. The Roman Empire would have no reason to take them. Now think about it today. What happens when people get upset at a certain person? They start writing some things about them. Sometimes they've put their address, made it public, and then people show up at the house, people show up at the business, and they break the windows, and they loot the things that are inside. Sometimes they burn the business, sometimes they burn the house, they burn some of the things they had. I have a hard time understanding this any other way because it's all put in the same sentence, and that people were so mad at whoever wrote this letter that even the people that associated with them lost some of their goods because of their association. Because they stood up and said, that person's okay. I stand with that person. What they believe is what I believe. And that was a hard thing to do. Because they not only faced pressure, persecution, struggles, but they lost stuff. And they didn't have insurance policies. They didn't have an insurance policy to make up for it. They lost their goods. Look at the rest of this. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your, of your goods. Joyfully accepted. Can you imagine that? <laughs> they came on in and they come in. Let's just say they come in their house and somebody broke in and stole everything. And they say, glory to God. I am not giving up 
on Jesus Christ as my Messiah. I am not giving up on Jesus Christ. You're not getting me to, to fall off of this. No way. Uh-uh. And they just stay full of joy even though all their stuff is gone. Their new 60-inch TV, flat-screen TV, gone. <laughs> With joy, he said, except the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So even when that went on, they would look at this and they would say, we've got something better on the other side. I don't care what you take down on this side. I've got something better on the other side. You can take my house. You can take my stuff. You can take my job. You cannot take my joy. And you cannot take the assurance of what I have on the other side. Can you imagine having that kind of faith to withstand that? He says again, recall the former days. These are not people who just accepted Jesus Christ and life went on just a little bit differently. We weren't buying bulls and buying lambs to make sacrifices anymore. Instead, we were... Life was better. We didn't have to buy all that stuff. That wasn't the way that their life changed. They had all kinds of things that came in and all kinds of things that were lost. Recall the former days. Remember the sower and the parable of the sower and the seed? When the seed came... The birds came to try and steal it. Try and take that word. When that didn't work and some of the seed took, then pressures came. Thorns and thistles came. The sun. All these things to try and get that seed to dry up and to die. And this is what the enemy was trying to do with all this stuff he was throwing at them. Leave the doctrine of Christ. Leave the sacrifice of Christ. Go back to the way that you did it. Before, the devil may not have liked them doing it that way. But now, he does because if they do it, it means they don't have faith in Jesus Christ. So he's putting pressure on them through everybody he can. Go back to the old way. We've got to, get, we got to get, uh, get rid of that seed that's in you. Verse 35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. That word confidence actually means this. I found a, a different translation too that will translate it this way. But all outspokenness, frankness, bluntness, boldness of speech. When you get persecution for something that you believe... And the people who don't believe it all come against you. It, it, the pressure is there for you to keep silent. I don't. I don't want to say anything. I just get. I just get people mad at me. I just get people who who say all manner of evil things. So I'll just be quiet. He's saying here, we we lose it here in this translation. Don't cast away your confidence. We can just read over that real easy. Don't cast away your boldness. Don't cast away your outspokenness. Don't quit that. Remember the former days. Remember how it was. All right. Keep going with that. You faced that tribulation. You faced that persecution. You faced those struggles head on. They didn't alter you. They didn't change you. You kept going. Now remember that. Bring that up here to today. Don't be casting this stuff aside. Don't be throwing this away. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, 
which has great reward. There is great reward when you keep speaking up for the things of God, even in the face of people who don't want to hear it, even in the face of people who tell you to hush. What did Jesus do when people told him, don't speak the truth? He spoke the truth. Same with Paul, same with Peter, same with John. Same even in the Old Testament with Jeremiah. Other, other uh, prophets. They still spoke the truth even though pressure came against them to not do it. So don't cast that away. Don't just say, well, I'll just keep my faith to myself. I'll just, uh, if I'm myself and saved, that's all, we, that's all we can hope for. Remember all the stuff you put in there? This is a group, group task. We're all going through this together. We need to help each other. We need to, you're not just in here by yourself. Don't get isolated. This is another form of isolation. Guess you just don't, don't say anything. Get your eyes focused on all the troubles that are coming your way because of your faith, because of the way the world responding to you. All these, all these things. Mm-mm. No, don't, uh, don't be doing it. Don't be going that way. We're looking around here, even in this country, and people are having a hard time just standing up for their faith. Some people are. We, how many of y'all saw the Supreme Court decision that, that came down? I heard uh, people reviewing some of the oral arguments that went on and they were pretty sure that this was the way it was going to go down. And because it went down in such a way that the, uh, the Christians were sided with. And uh, I, was, I was more surprised, not by the decision. From what I heard of the oral arguments that went on, I kind of expected that decision because of the questions that were made. I didn't expect the vote. Did you all see how the vote went? Seven to two. Wow. The only two who voted against it was uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Sonia Sotomayor. <laughs> That's it. All the rest of them voted for it. That a government cannot make a business go against their, their religious beliefs. Well, that's a good thing. I heard somebody who... Um, uh, was was talking about somebody who, who um, was uh, I guess they were a, they were a lesbian, and they owned a business, and they were actually on the side of the Christians. Because they said I think they owned a similar type of a shop, printing shop, cake shop, whatever. Says we don't want to have to make one that goes against this either. What they what they believed. Well, it made sense. I don't know if you saw this video, but I saw some guy who was uh, he's involved in another. Another day, he makes he makes shirts. Anybody see that uh, little little uh, info thing that was done on him? He's uh, somehow he's still in a court thing. It seems uh, lower level. I'm not sure how the Supreme Court didn't affect him, but um, uh, people wanted him to make a, a a gay pride shirt, and he he didn't want to do it. And so he said, "No, I I can't make that." And um, they of course would went on to sue him and. You know, trying to make him to do it. Even though whenever he told somebody he couldn't make it, he always found another printer who would do it for him. Always did that. He said, I can't make it because that's, that's not what I can do. But I was amazed when he got into his story. He said, I'm just not out there not making gay pride uh, shirts. He said, I had somebody who came in and uh, wanted me to, to make a shirt and that was anti-homosexual. Uh, homosexuality is a sin or something like that. And he said, uh, I, di- I just didn't feel right about making that. And so he didn't, he didn't make that. He turned, turned that one down as well. And he talked about other ones that he turned down making because he just didn't feel like that was the, that was the message that should be conveyed. 
And I thought, well, that's, I like that. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> but, but whenever he turned down somebody, he said, we always found somebody else because we know people in the business. I know somebody who probably doesn't have a problem with that. And so we would call them up. Would you make this shirt for them? And then he would tell them, here's somebody who'll make that shirt for, I can't make it. And so he's, uh, he's got a, apparently a pretty sizable business going on. But they mostly make Christian messages shirts. That's mostly what they do. I don't know that it's all that they do. It's mostly what they do. But, um, but the pressure comes on, you know, for that. Because the idea is to get Christians to silence. The pressure doesn't come on the other, the other places. There isn't pressure upon Muslims to, uh, to, to not do some, some things. My daughter was telling me about, uh, apparently a Facebook post for a place that we have frequented. Uh, how many have ever heard the Please Touch Museum? Yeah. All right. Well, Got a nice little spot down there in Philly, and uh, every once in a while, you know, first Wednesday of the of the month, they uh, make entry into the place like a dollar a person or something like that. And so it hasn't been too often, but every once in a while, there was a uh, Wednesday we didn't have service, and it would happen to be the first Wednesday. I'm not always thinking about this, but my daughter would she would say, "Hey, you want to go on out with us? We'll go out to the Please Touch Museum." I said, "Well, yeah, I guess we can do that. We don't have service tonight." I don't remember what the reason was we didn't have services, but we did it I think two times over the last couple of years, where we didn't have service on the first Wednesday. We went down there and. And took advantage of that particular thing. And there's a lot of fun things to do. And, you know, a little girl just loved uh, the carousel. That was her favorite place. And they had all kinds of fun things to do in there. Well, they had put up a, a thing that uh, they were having some, um, what do they call the guys who dress up as girls? Drag queen. queen. They're having a drag queen come out to it and to basically preach to the kids uh, why being a drag queen was cool. And why they ought to investigate putting on dresses and, and doing stuff like this. And so she had looked up this particular drag queen that they were getting out and saw how boisterous they were about their cause and all the different places that they were trying to indoctrinate kids, young kids, onto this way. So she um, made a message that, sorry, we won't be going to your place anymore, and we really like it. And um, I think that somehow a message had been sent back. Anyway, she ended up calling them and called and left a message on the CEO's um, voicemail and said, you know, I'm, I just want to let you, let you know, we like your place. We like bringing our kids. They enjoy coming on out there. But if this is the kind of thing you're going to do, we are not bringing them anymore. And I just wanted to let you know this was why. That was all that she did. No threats. No, if you don't change. and No, just that we like coming there. We thought it was a nice place. But if you're going to do this, we're not bringing them. Well, that, the CEO called her back. And they had a conversation. And we'll be very careful about who. We, we picked this one in particular because of, and gave her, her, her reasons. And apparently they were also having another day, Muslim Awareness Day, and they were bringing in Muslims to take these little kids and teach them how the ways of Muslim are, are good and, and, and nice. And, and she said, well, you know, there's even more reason because they aren't bringing anybody for Christians to come on in. And, and I'm not saying that they should. I think that the Police Touch Museum ought to be the Police Touch Museum. And that's it. When you come on in, touch things. <laughs> that's what I think they ought to do. They don't need to promote Christianity. They don't need to promote anybody's stuff. Just come on in, let the kids play. That's it. Just come in, let them have, have, them have some play. You don't got to do any of that sort of stuff. You don't got to scream people at the door and say, wait a minute, are you this, are you that? No, we don't need to scream people at the door. If you want to come on in, please touch museum, pay the fee, come on in. That's all you got to do. But that's, uh, that's not what they were doing. So she, she uh, did that, but apparently they, I guess, put something up on one of the sites and all kinds of fire, all kinds of things were coming back to them. And 
things of that nature, but, but there'll be pressure there to be quiet. This verse, when he says, don't cast away your confidence, what he's saying is, don't cast away your boldness. Now make sure the thing you're standing up for is the thing that God stands up for. That's the first thing you've got to make sure you do. And when God says this is what we do, we don't cram it down anybody's throat because God does not want us to force believers out of anyone. He wants them to choose be, to be a believer. We don't force them to be that way. But that's not the way the world is going. And the schools are going the same way. I just get amazed that of all the religions in the world, that the Muslim religion is the one that they decide that they're going to promote because it is incredibly abusive. And for all these things that the liberal media says that they're for, women's rights, um, uh, gays and homosexuals and alternate lifestyles, the Muslims are against all of those things. They kill people that are in alternate lifestyles because they, don't, they purge that from their land. Uh, you, do you all remember that? I think I talked about it before. The, the, um, one of the Islamic countries, the leader came on over and he was in one of the colleges and they brought up the whole uh, gay thing to them. And they said, uh, and he, his statement was, we don't have any gays in our country. And people laughed. Mm-hmm. In the college, they laughed. And he looked at them and says, oh, do you know some? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me where they are. They, and the room went hush. It, they, were, they were shocked. And he was serious. We'll go get them. And we will not have any in our country. That's how they approached it. So how this one becomes the, the, the religion of acceptance, I, I'm still amazed, puzzled by that. But some of you folks have been through the end times class. Most of you, I guess, here have been. Uh, you know some of the things that are being fulfilled for that. But but don't cast it away. And that word cast away, you can translate it other ways, but it's basically mean the same thing. Take it and throw it from you. Cast it away. Don't cast away your confidence, which has great reward. That's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to get tired of, of speaking things, standing up for things. We don't need to do it. Remember the, uh, the guy who was making the shirts? They... The unusual thing about him was he says, we hire people that are homosexual. We have people on staff that have a, a gay lifestyle. I have customers that have a gay lifestyle. We make shirts for them all the time. I just won't make them with that message. Other people will. I just won't. So we don't stop make, uh, serving them because of their, their uh, orientation. Don't do it. But still, that's not good enough. Verse 35 in the New Century Version says this, So do not lose the courage you had in the past. Do not lose the courage you had in the past. See, before to do all that, it took great courage to be that bold, to be that outspoken. But you stayed with it. Don't lose that courage. Don't throw that away. Hang on to that. Verse 36, For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Now, this word here for endurance means to remain despite a heavy load of pressure to move. It's a compound word. The first part of this, hupo, means under, and mene means to stay or remain. The idea here is that under great pressure, under a great load, you stay or you remain. 
He says, you need, you need endurance. You have need of endurance. Well, apparently they had it before, but somehow they've, they've pulled back from it. They haven't been doing the things to keep that endurance up. For you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. You've got to find out what the will of God is. Do it. And despite the pressure that comes against you, despite that, you keep on going, doing what the will of God has said to do. Now, pressure to move comes from, I put three things in here. You might be able to find a fourth or a fifth, but there's basically three major areas where pressure is going to come from. The first one is thoughts. The first one would have to do with your thoughts. And this is one that the enemy can certainly do. He sows thoughts into people. He sows thoughts into your head. If you do that, these people are going to come against you. If you do that, you could lose your job. If you do that, just have those, those thoughts come in. And then pressure forms from those thoughts. That's the first area. The second area would be people. People around you. We know that the enemy can stir up people. He did it against Paul. He did it against Peter. He did it with with other disciples. He can stir up people. He did it against Jesus. Stirred up people to get them to to uh, come against them because this is another area of pressure. So the people can bring about pressure as well. You can have your your thoughts are going to come in and they're going to bring about pressure. People around you are going to come in and they're going to start doing some things with pressure. Outside of that, your feelings are going to get involved. Your feelings are going to get involved. The things that you feel. I, I don't feel like I ought to do that. I don't feel good about this. I don't feel... What, what you feel in the inside. Not just what you think, but what you feel. Now that can be altered a lot by what people are saying and what your thoughts are, but your feelings will get involved in it too. And you're going to feel pressure from those three main areas. Like I said, you might be able to come up with a fourth or a fifth. I'm not trying to say there's only three areas that it, that it is, but these three are certainly the big areas or where you're going to feel pressure from. So you've got to know the pressure is coming from my thoughts, the pressure is going to come from people, and the pressure is going to come from my feelings. I've got to be ready for it. I've got to know that they're coming. I've got to be on guard. Don't let, it, don't let it go that way. So he says, For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Verse 37, for yet a little while and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now there's many times that the, the writer of Hebrews mentions Jesus Christ returning. He's always getting them to look to the, to the future. I want you to keep your eyes set on the fact that Jesus Christ is coming. Keep your eye on that. This is, not, this is all temporary. This is going to go away. And what's on the other side is going to be real good. So keep that in. That's part of the hope that he, he puts in them. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. The just shall live by faith. Now this sets up chapter 11. What he has done here is he has entwined, spent all these chapters entwining faith into the sacrifice. Faith into the Old Testament sacrifice faith into the New Testament sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That our faith in Him is why we don't make sacrifice anymore. Our, in the Old Testament, our faith in the sacrifice, or in the Jesus Christ coming, is what gave the sacrifice power to 
um, hold back our sins or, or give us a way out from our sins. It was that faith. So faith was involved in the sacrifice. He spent much time in all this. And now he's going to say, not that uh, faith, by faith, by faith we're, we're forgiven. He's not saying that. He's saying, by, he's saying the just shall live by faith. He does not say the just are healed by faith. He does not say that the just prosper by faith. He does not say that the just obtain miracles by faith. He says the just shall live. And he's quoting from the Old Testament. The just shall live by faith. So by quoting from the Old Testament and bringing this into the context of what he is doing, he is showing how much faith is not just involved in episodes in our life. Faith is not just involved when we need a miracle, when we need a financial change, when we need a healing. Well, faith is not just involved then. Faith is involved in every aspect of your life because the just are not just forgiven by faith, healed by faith. They live by faith. Faith is not something to get you from one point of trouble to another. It is something that you live by. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. That word there for draw back, the best picture, word picture I saw of this was, was this way. If a sailboat is going out to sea and the wind is catching in those sails and carrying that boat out to sea and all of a sudden they decide we don't want to go this fast and they draw back on the sails. They either pull them down completely or they, they loosen them. Somehow, so that the the wave, the wind does not catch the, uh, the 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 sail does not catch all of the wind, and it slows down the the path or it comes to a complete stop. He says, "Don't draw back. Don't pull back on the sails. Keep that sail fully up. Catch all of that wind and be moving. Keep going on. The just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, slows down, says, well, hold on a minute. I don't know if I want to keep going this way. I'm getting a lot of." persecution i'm getting a lot of abuse from people i don't like this i didn't sign up for this i'm gonna just kind of pull back i mean i'm on the ship i'm going in the right direction i'm just gonna kind of pull back not be as boisterous not face all this sort of stuff he says no don't do it he says but if anyone draws back my soul has no pleasure in him speaking of not his his soul but the soul of god now, he quotes this from the Old Testament. It's not an exact quote, but it is pretty close. But there are parts of it where he does reinterpret it for the, the present day. Verse 29. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. He says, we are not those. You guys, look, I know you. I know where you came from. I know what happened when you first became enlightened. I know the pressure that came against you. I know how you stuck with me and how much you lost because you stuck with me. I know you. I know what's been going on. And I know you are not the type to draw back. So get those sails set tight, catch that wind, and go full speed ahead. And don't be pulling back. And with that, he sets up chapter 11, which we all, of course, know is the great faith chapter. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Evidence of things not seen. Talking about the great patriarchs of faith. 
the people who went on before. But once we have all this established and we see what he has been building to, we'll understand chapter 11 much, much better. So those of the Jewish heritage had great pressure to return to the things of the law. So what is it that you feel great pressure to return to? What is it you feel pressure to be quiet about? You know, I know some, some topics that get people real riled up and they, they feel like talking, but they're not Bible topics. But what is it that's in the Word of God? They, they get you to be quiet. They get you to, to pull back some. Take the advice from a writer here in Hebrews. Don't dwell back. Even if family is giving you a hard time because you believe Jesus Christ to be this way, because you believe the Word of God to be this way, because you believe in this message in the Word of God, and they're trying to get you to, to pull back. Don't pull back. If it's in the Word of God, don't throw it away. Don't be... Don't lose your courage. Stay up there. Keep proclaiming. This is what the Word of God says. It's not me who says it. It's in the Word of God. If you don't want to believe it, that's your, your choice. You cannot believe it. I'm not going to force you to. But if you want me to tell you what the truth is, this is what the Word of God says is truth. I can't pull back on that. Don't draw back. So these folks who have been through such great things in the beginning are now at a spot where they're pulling back. Whatever it is that's been going on, maybe they just kind of relaxed a little bit. Maybe they weren't staying as sharp. Whatever it might have been. He says, go back to what you had in the beginning. Get that courage. Don't, don't let it go. Be zealous for the good things. Be zealous for the things of God. And be of good courage. The world's going to come against you. But it's all right. Because Jesus is coming back. He's not going to tarry for long. He will be he will be on his way back. And when he comes back, what's on the other side for us is a whole lot better. Keep on it. Because of reward on the other side, it's good. It's real good. And don't just make the journey. Don't forget the verses before this. Don't just make the journey yourself. Bring people along with you. Bring people along with you. Our eyes should always be out there looking for our young people to bring them along. It should always be out there. Because when we, when we think of the times when we were young people, can you think of people who took you under their wing and helped you? How can we do any less? And how many of you have thought back to those days and said, man, the things I did, holy cow. I can't believe I, I was that bad. Oh, I can't, believe I've, I can't believe how ignorant I was. But people were around you and they were patient, weren't they? And now you are in the body of Christ doing great things. Don't ever lose sight of what goes on with our young people. I tell you what, again, I've always got an eye on our, on our young people. What are they doing? When I see our young people getting involved in ministry, I get excited. I don't listen to people and say, well, they aren't perfect in this area over here and they're involved. And we're going to get that area of perfection. I've had people point me to young people and their miscues and their problems. And I'm not going to mention any situations or any names. Some of them are still here. 
<laughs> but I have to get my eyes off of that because my goal is to bring these people along with us. Because when I get on the other side, God's going to look at me, how many people did you bring along? Not how good did you get yourself? And if we got nothing else from chapter 10 in Hebrews, get this. Who are you bringing along? Who are you making better? One of the things I know about going on to things of God, that if you get out of serving God, you generally lose all interest in getting better, in growing. Or generally lose all interest in it. That's why we, I'll tolerate some things. In fact, a lot of times I just, uh, well, I won't, I won't let you know on that. <laughs> Some things are probably better unsaid. But when you pray for people, God can show you some things about it. doesn't mean you go and tell anybody about it. It means you get in there and you help them out. God doesn't just show me things that people are going through for the purpose of, all right, get them out of ministry. They got that thing going on. Make sure they get that thing straightened out. Mm -mm. That's not why he's showing it to me. My word, he let David still be in ministry of being the king and the general of the army. And look at the things he was into. We get too much. The, the enemy wants to get us to focus in on the sins of the individual and the judgment they should come into. God wants us to look at a whole different perspective. Folks, who of our young people are you bringing along? Who are the people that are around you? Not just young people, but who are the people that are around you? Are you bringing along? Are you making better? Because we are not in this to get ourselves to the finish line. We are in this to bring as many people to the finish line as we can. That's our goal. Like I said, if we get nothing else out of Hebrews 10, I hope you get that. But this whole thing is setting us up and we're going to have some fun. Hebrews 11. I told you at the beginning, I don't know how long we'll be in Hebrews 11. I haven't mapped that out yet. It'll be, I'm not rushing through. We're going to go through and get everything that he wants us to, to get. I say he sometimes. I understand it may, I understand it may not be a he. <laughs> Seems like all the other authors where he's sometimes just fall into that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful things we can learn from your word. We know that the world is trying to pressure us to back off some of the things that you have said are important. But Father, we're not going to back off. We're going to remember the zeal we had at the beginning and we're going to stay with that. We're not going to let go of our faith. We're not going to let go of the things we know that are important in the Word of God. We're going to love the people that are around us, the people that are here for us to minister to. But we're not going to let go of those things you said are important. So I thank you, Father, that the boldness that is in us will continue on. We won't let it, we don't let it go. We won't cast it away. And we won't draw back because of the pressure. But we'll keep moving on. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Daryl. Any comments? Questions? I think I only had three blanks and I'm pretty sure I got all three of those. Anything from our internet folks? You're welcome, Trina. <laughs>
All right. We don't have to repeat them. They can all see them on the <laughs> online there. All right. It's interesting that I think you you pick your battles. You know when you com when people combat with you. Um, generally, as Christians, we have our opinion, and our opinion is our opinion. But those that aren't they can't accept your opinion. They have to make sure that you take their opinion. You know, I've had different conversations with people, and I just give up. Listen, okay, this is my opinion. That's your opinion. You have yours. I have mine. That's not enough for them. You can't have yours. You have to understand why. My opinion is this, and you have to understand why I feel this. So a lot of times, what the Bible says don't cash your um, pearls before a spine. So you figure, why am I arguing this with you? You you don't want to know the truth. You don't want to hear. So you kind of back down and just figure this isn't even worth fighting for. But I'm just listening, you know, listening to what you're saying now. Maybe it is worth fighting for. You know, maybe sometimes you just have to fight. I mean, you don't feel like you want to choke it down, but sometimes you just have to stand your ground. And they just don't want you to stand your ground. You can't have your opinion. You have to have my opinion. You have to understand what, what I am. And it's just a battle all the time. That's why a lot of times you know it's for God's sake because they just aren't going to listen. You know, they aren't just, they aren't going to say, well, fine, that's your opinion. No, no, this is my opinion. You have to have my opinion. So, yeah, you have to accept my opinion. Right, yeah. People confuse the First Amendment with the right of freedom of speech to they confuse it with the freedom to be heard or the right to be heard. No one has a right to be heard. That's not guaranteed in the Constitution. Sometimes we've uh, we've construed that. You know, people have a contrary opinion. Well, I have a right for people to hear this. No, you don't. You have a right to speak what it is, but no one has to listen to what you have to say. That's just, that's just how it is. I mean, the news people, come on. And they hope that people turn in their the news program and they can they can see it, but they don't have a right. I think sometimes they act like it, but they don't have a right for that. There is no right in the Constitution to be heard. There is a right to speech. It's up to us to make what we say to others worth hearing. And so that's where it comes in with the with the gospel, with Jesus, with Paul. You had to make what you had to say worth hearing if i don't make it worth hearing people are just going to shut it down and i don't i can't inflict my right to free speech onto them you must hear because i have a right to free speech no that's wrong i have to make if you don't make your message worthwhile for me to to listen i'm just going to move on just like you know we have people that preach against the gospel well i don't want to hear that <laughs> and they don't have anything they can't push they can't force me to listen to it that's just the, the way. So sometimes if you listen to the way people are talking, their, their understanding of the First Amendment is, I have a right to be heard. No, you have a right to say what you want. But you will also encounter the consequences. Because um, we think that I can say whatever I want and there's no consequences to it because I have freedom of speech. No, there's consequences to it.
in terms of what the scripture is saying about don't throw away your boldness about speaking certain things, but I mean, what are those things that you, you take on? You know, Phyllis is saying, you know, you know, you know, people are talking about stuff back and forth or they're asking about an opinion or whatever. When do you just stop battling it? That, uh, the, that the world does not believe. Right. And they're resistant to it. Jesus didn't throw all the truth out to them at one time. You have to listen to the voice of the Spirit and what it is that you can, you can say. And sometimes they may get onto a topic just like the woman at the well. She got on a topic. Well, that's not really a topic that's going to do us any benefit here. So Jesus was able to turn it around to be benefit to, to somewhere else. Uh, Paul, when he was in um, Athens... And he looked for an inroad to have a conversation with him. He said, I noticed that you have a lot of gods around here that have one God that's to the unknown God. I'm here to tell you about that God. Well, he, had, he found an inroad. <laughs> that's not who they made that statue to, but he took it as a, as a way. Now he's got their ears perked up and they want to listen. Um, he didn't just come in there. And if he came in, in there and he says, idolatry is wrong and all you guys who make idols are going to hell. They would have shut him down. They wouldn't go anywhere. You have to come in there with some truth that they can accept. Um, well, what was you were talking about something with somebody recently. I think it was just this week. I can't think of what it was. But if you came in, say, you know, the, the Word of God says that homosexuality is wrong. And you've come up to a, a person who's involved in that type of lifestyle and preach against that lifestyle, you're shut them down. They're not going to hear you. They're not going to want to hear you. And they're going to go off with something else. And you've got no shot at, at getting them. Well, you, I'm not saying, you know, be quiet about what you believe. But that's not necessarily the best place for it. I, th- I think there's a few other places that you can take the gospel message and make an inroad in there. Uh, have something change. Something that they can, you can find that person, give them from the Word of God that will change their life positively. And then once they see it changes their life positively, then we can go on that way. If Jesus at the, at the well with the woman would have preached against sexual immorality and not living with people you're not married to, would have lost her. If he would have run into Zacchaeus, and if he came into the house for dinner, and he would have preached the message, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not exact usury, thou shalt not be, uh, do all the things that Zacchaeus was doing. Well, he would have just thrown it out, but instead he ministered in other things, and Zacchaeus became convicted on, on all these things, and said, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. So you have to listen to the Spirit of God. So just because you don't preach that truth doesn't mean you're, you're giving into it. And, um, you know, you, if you run into people that are in the gay lifestyle, it doesn't mean that you have to come up there and, you know, like some people do. All, all people in this lifestyle are going to hell. Well, it's not going to win them over. It's not going to help them in any way. What if you went in there and, and ministered whatever it is that God gave you to them? Just listen to the Spirit of God. And let God deal with them. God minister to them and say, wow, this is real. Uh, whatever he says in his word, I want to do it. See, now you've reached them. It's far more important to reach them. But it doesn't mean you have to back off on, on anything. If somebody comes up to me and they says, do you believe in g- gay marriage and, and so forth? and uh, I don't have to back off that message. But, you know, if somebody from the news 
camera. He came on over, stuck a camera in my face, said, do you believe in gay marriage? I wouldn't tell him a word. Because they had no interest in the truth. And I would listen to the Spirit of God to come up with an answer to, um, to hit them with. And um, that's, that's what we have to, to do. People's questions. This has uh, come up again recently. It's the only reason it's forefront of my, my mind. But several years ago, when one of the presidential, I don't remember which one, I just remember who was involved with it. And I think it was Mitt Romney who was in, involved in it. And they asked him a question. Do states have a right? I want you to think about this question. This is a, a Republican presidential candidate debate. And they asked Mitt Romney this question. Do states have a right to ban contraceptives? Do you remember that question being asked? It totally took Mitt Romney by surprise. And his answer to it was, well, who's doing that? I haven't heard that anybody even wants to do that. And no one does. It was a question that was created solely for the purpose of trying to to um, pitch this war against women that they, they eventually launched. And, um, and, got, and he, he finally came on out and he said, he says, well, n- no, I don't think that... that and and, they, and they, because he answered it, they went on into a, to a thing. Well, first off, in a presidential election, what a state can do is not involved because the president is not running to be a governor. So state rights have nothing to do with it. So I just throw it on out there and you just have to say, look, ask me a question about the presidency. That's what I'm running for. I'm not running for being the governor. That's a, and the next question. And just, just move on. Um, don't ask me a question that isn't in the, that's not, that hasn't been a topic, isn't looking into like it's being a topic, but this is what they'll do and they'll distract you. So just because somebody comes and asks you a question doesn't mean you need to answer it. Because answering it can open up a more of a can of worms than, than just moving on. You've got to listen to the voice of your spirit. It's imperative that you listen to the voice of your spirit. Because even Jesus taught us. He says, when they drag you up before the courts, don't be worried about what you're going to be saying. I'll give you the words to speak. I'll tell you what to say. So let him tell you what to say. Let him give you the words to, to speak. He will. He'll tell you what to do. And that's what you have to to stick with. So just because I have beliefs doesn't mean that I have to stand up for them that time. doesn't mean that I need to speak them to these people because a lot of times they're just out there to try and trap you. It doesn't matter which way you go. If you say, yes, I believe that, no, I don't. They have a way for you to trap you no matter what you say. They don't care about the truth of it. They only care about entrapping you. So listen to the voice of your spirit on it because you don't need to get involved in, in, uh, in those kind of things. And, um, you know, Mitt never recovered from that. And it was a stupid question. I had no business being in there. But uh, they answered it anyway. I didn't watch that presidential debate. I very seldom do. They don't ask, they don't ask legitimate questions in them. In, in my mind, anyway. 